In today's episode, I'm talking with Dr. Stephanie Ryan. She is a chemist, a boy mom, and a social media influencer who enjoys using her background to create superior educational products and content. Although an academic at heart, Dr. Stephanie is passionate about learning through play. She can be found helping young kids explore the fascinating world around them. Over the years, Dr. Stephanie has taught science to all age groups, both in and out of the classroom, helping toddlers learn about the world and college students define theirs. She is an active member of the chemistry education community and is currently a committee member of the International Activities Committee for the Division of Chemical Education. Dr. Stephanie earned her PhD in the Learning Sciences and her master's degree in analytical chemistry from the University of Illinois at Chicago. She earned her bachelor's in chemistry from St. Mary's College. Let's dive in and hear from Dr. Stephanie Ryan. I'm Lindsay Lyons, and I love helping school communities envision bold possibilities, take brave action to make those dreams a reality, and sustain an inclusive, anti-racist culture where all students thrive. I'm a former teacher leader turned instructional coach, educational consultant, and leadership scholar. If you're a leader in the education world, whether you're a principal, superintendent, instructional coach, or a classroom teacher excited about school-wide change like I was, you are a leader. And if you enjoy nerding out about the latest educational books and podcasts, if you're committed to a lifelong journey of learning and growth and being the best version of yourself, you're going to love the Time for Teachership podcast. Let's dive in. Dr. Stephanie Ryan, welcome to the Time for Teachership podcast. I just read your guest bio, your professional bio, but do you want to add anything to that introduction? Yeah, I would say I'd like to also add that I have turned into an Instagrammer as well. Um, a lot of the activities that I talk about with parents, um, I have found a really good following on Instagram to post these. So hopefully the listeners can check it out later and find some activities for their kids at home. Excellent. And I know we were just talking before we started recording as well, that you're going to be turning all of this greatness into a blog as well. So we can link that in the show notes so people can check out all those activities on your site as well. Yeah. I'm really excited. The hashtags we started were let's learn about whatever, um, it would be, you'd fill in the blank. And we started with careers. Cause I was doing pre-K with my son about community helpers. And I found that everyone loves to talk about their career so it's not hard to find experts to make a video. And they kind of got to be a thing where it was like we had free activities. Parents could download worksheets. There was an expert every week. There was a STEM activity. Like there were five things every week. And so what I thought would be really cool now that the pandemic for most of us is kind of wrapping up a little bit. I know some countries are just now entering lockdowns and stuff. So, um, but I was thinking that putting it on a blog of a post, you know, like let's learn about firefighting and here are all the things you could do with your kid and kind of condense that all together. So a parent could just pull that if that's something their kid is interested in. Wow. That's amazing. That's going to be a wonderful resource for parents and teachers too. I think that'll be great. I'm so excited. My favorite part of it was the free part. (laughs) Um, So what I do is I pull out really good books Um, and, you know, books aren't free. So I make sure that they're really good books that I really recommend. Um, And then I go to teachers pay teachers and I find only free resources. Those are things that parents can download and I link to it and show a picture of my son doing it or how I may have tweaked something and 
Um, that one I think has been my favorite because I had no idea all these free worksheets were out there until I dove into this. <laughs> that's amazing. And I think that's something really important to me as well, that we have like kind of this level of free resources that allows us to get our feet in the door and really start working without having to pay for every single resource on teachers pay teacher. So I love that you're doing that. That's incredible. As we get into thinking about what we're talking about today, um, we often talk first at the top of the episode about Bettina loves um, what she calls freedom dreaming or what she describes freedom dreaming as she says, dreams grounded in the critique of injustice. And I think this is such an important quote for me and the way I think about education. I'm curious to know, you know, what's the big dream with that in mind that you hold for education? I think that everyone can be a scientist. And I think that is something that maybe not everybody agrees with. Um, There's definitely a system put in place where certain people get routed into chemistry and biology and not everybody. But I like to think of it like math. Um, So math, we use math every day. I go to the store and I need to think like, okay, I need this much for tax on top of what I'm doing. And it may not be sophisticated, but we do math all the time. And I don't think anybody thinks about all the science that they do every day. And I think that's really sad. I think that's something that was a really good opportunity to do early with kids and parents and adults to make sure that they kind of notice that around them. Um, And then that we can all be scientists. Now, maybe we're not all PhD researchers. That's up to whether you want to or not. Um, but I think that everybody has the capability of at least explaining things that are happening around them. I love that dream. That's amazing. And thinking about how we don't, like you were saying, we don't often think about that in that way. Sometimes we'll think about it for math or other subjects, but that requires, I think a real mindset shift for people to, to really buy into that. And so what are the mindset shifts or the things that will help people shift their minds to that way of thinking that you could offer? That's tricky. Um, And it's something I went through on my own with um, the pandemic. I ended up teaching pre-K at my own house to my child, which I'm an educator, uh, but I usually teach eighth grade, ninth grade. (laughs) I don't usually teach four-year-olds. And I was really overwhelmed. And I called his preschool teacher, like, these are the things I do with him every day. Am I doing it right? Like, am I doing enough? And she told me that I was overthinking it, that just even pouring water into cups out of the sink is a skill for a four-year-old to be able to get better at. And that learning how to garden is teaching him the life cycle and things like that. And it was like to take a step back and not be so academic about it of like a bullet point. These are the things he needs to know but more like, let's let him explore his world and learn. And I was like, oh, well, I can do this then if that's how we're approaching it. And so I think the mind shift is going to be more along the lines of what is necessary for every student to know. Um, And I think that one's going to be tricky because I don't, I think everybody's going to have a different response for that. Um, But I think to buy into it, I think we just have to keep showing that it works. <laughs> but teaching kids this way and um, looking at the how and why things happen instead of what happens, because um, that's how I learned it was the what and the formula. 
Um, and I had a lot of trouble explaining things as an adult and it took, I had to relearn things. So I think that's going to be, we're going to have to go through a process of relearning and being comfortable with not knowing. But I think that this generation coming up, they're comfortable with not knowing because they've got a computer in their pocket that we say, Hey, I don't know this. Let's look this up. Um, where not all generations had that. And so I think it might be easier than I think it would be. <laughs> I love the shift from the what questions to the how and why questions that is just, I mean, it's not an easy shift to make by any means in terms of, you know, what your curriculum is going to look pretty different maybe, or the entry point maybe looks different, but it's such a powerful one. And so mentally, if we're talking about mindset, I think that's such an easier shift to make than oh, okay, I, I, there's all this stuff that, that you know, is going to go into this shift in practice and this shift in curriculum writing or something like that. But just shifting the questions, especially in an inquiry model or something, right, where we're just allowing kids to ask those questions themselves and follow the answers. I think that's huge for people who are teaching science. So that is brilliant. I love that. I think the other thing we need to make sure that it would be, a, I don't know if it's a mindset, uh, a mindset shift. That's a tricky one to say. Um, I, it's something we'll need to address is that we don't need fancy chemicals to do science, yet we tend to teach it that way. Um, so it's something that I could only do in a chemistry lab, but really could I use baking soda and vinegar to talk about this? I, I surely could, and then everyone would have access to it. Um, and I think that that's a shift that the pandemic kind of necessitated for everybody, and it showed the valuable nature of it. So hopefully that's where we're heading, is that maybe we don't have to, unless you're a chemistry major, go into these complicated things. Um, but we can talk about conservation of matter, baking soda and vinegar with a balloon to capture the gas. like just really easy stuff um, that everybody could use. I love that too, because it's really centering equity. And like you said, the pandemic highlighted that. I think we could have done that prior too. And now we're just really hyper aware of it, but that's amazing that, that there are these ways to do these really complex tasks really simply and with simple ingredients. And so I, I like that you name that, that there doesn't have to be that barrier there. Um, and, and speaking of things that people could do, uh, I'd love to hear from you just kind of what brave actions are, are required. And I think we started talking about that a little bit. Um, you know, how do we as educators, as caretakers, how do we make this dream of like every student, every child gets to be a scientist? <laughs> and this is where it's hard. The brave actions that are required are all in yourself. Um, I think it's, uh, it's that mental shift and really leaning into being uncomfortable. So my son, he didn't know an answer. He wanted to, the example, I've used this before, but it's really a good one. <laughs> he, um, he, we were making popsicles last summer and I asked him what we needed to do to make them. And he said, I don't know, put them in the oven. And I was like pounding my forehead, like, are you serious? Did you just say that? But I'm like, no, he needs to learn, you know? And so what does it harm me? Not at all to put an ice cube tray in the oven and see what happens. Um, and so it's, it's really uncomfortable to let your kid have something wrong and run with it, but it's so much better for them because then they, find out actually, no, that didn't work. Okay, what do I try next? Let's put it outside. On a 94 degree day, it evaporated. What happened there, you know? And he finally got to the ice cubes. 
need to be in a freezer to become ice. Um, and because he did that himself and he was wrong, 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 got it right. Like it stuck with him. And I cheered him on the whole way instead of telling him, nope, you're wrong. He figured out he was wrong on his own. And later that year, it's, it was sleeting and it was like raining, almost snow. And he said, I think it's getting cold and that water is turning to ice. And I was like, yes, I didn't even have to teach you that. That's so cool. Um, but that's something that's hard to like, let that go. But I always tell parents, that's what we do when they walk. Like when they learn how to walk, we don't say fail, you're wobbly, you need to fix that. Like, but that's what we do in science and math. We say that a lot. Like, nope, you're wrong. Here's a big red X. Um, but if you let them discover that they're wrong on their own, it's just, it's a more positive mindset. That is so cool. I, and it takes such bravery, like you said, to be able to let kids fail and to be able to say, you know what, like, let's figure it out together. Let's go down this path that I know what's going to happen when we get there, but I'm going to, I'm going to need you to figure it out because it's going to resonate so much more deeply. I love that. And I think that transcends, you know, all content areas and all grade levels really, right. That's just how humans learn. So there's so much value in that story. Thank you so much for sharing it. Oh, I think the other brave thing too, is to, um, be comfortable with yourself, not knowing an answer. So when I was in school, that was embarrassing. If you got called on, you didn't know an answer. That was just not what you wanted to have happen. Um, but now just with how easy it is to check things on a smartphone, it's easier. And I think we should normalize not knowing something, especially with our kids and our students. So I, that's brave too, to like accept that you do not know and show that, I mean, right now the world we live in is so connected with technology. I don't know an answer. I can contact a researcher on Twitter, tweet them, say, hey, I have a question. They may not respond, but I can ask. And that's that shows everybody that learning is forever. Like you don't stop learning once you graduate 12th grade. You're always learning something. And I think that that's brave too. That is really cool. And I'm even just imagining for maybe for older students, but you know, sharing that process with your students to say, here's what I did to find that answer and then modeling for them. You could also tweet at this researcher at this university and ask this question. You, anyone can do that. Right. And like you said, maybe they don't respond, but you have this capacity and this technology in front of you to be brave yourself as well. I and mean, I'm just kind of modeling the way as an educator. So that is super cool. And I love that very specific example as well, because I think that's something we could all do in all subject areas. I legitimately just did this this week because I was looking for a, a paper that wasn't published yet. And I was like, but I need something to look at that's about that. And they sent me something and it was like, it was really cool. They responded within like a minute. <laughs> that is really cool. Oh, I love people. That's so cool. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm curious to know on if we're thinking about STEM or STEAM specifically, you know, what are the basic either the pedagogies or the curricular approaches that families or teachers listening should be keeping in mind as they're thinking about designing either lesson level experiences, you know, whole units or curriculum as they're designing those learning experiences for students. Well, for the younger group, which is what I've been focusing on recently because of my own child, um, 
I think the thing that I had to do that took me a minute to get used to is breaking things down to the simplest things possible and recognizing them around me. So if I look at solids, liquids, and gases, I could classify everything on my desk as one of those things. I can classify things as chemical changes or physical changes. And we can do a lot of things in your house with that. Um, and you can, um, those are the two main ones that I use. And I look for patterns in daily things that I do. So we make parfaits as snacks a lot um, with yogurt and I make a pattern activity out of it. My son labels each ingredient with a letter. We pick a pattern ahead of time and then he has to make the pattern and then he eats it. That's math. Like, <laughs> so that's, it's, it, I don't know if this is just like a, a lens that I have that maybe, maybe it is, maybe it's something unique to me that I just see that, that I see the patterns. I see the very, very simple activity in it. Um, but it's, it's something I think everybody can kind of do with their day-to-day -day life. Like even if you're folding clothes, like let's fold a pants, then let's fold a shirt, you know, like make a pattern out of it. Cause kids love patterns. <laughs> that is a really cool, simple activity. I love these concrete ideas. This is great. I feel like this is so relevant for so many different people, right? Families and caretakers, people who are homeschooling educators. Um, you know, if they don't have a textbook or a curriculum, it sounds like your suggestion is like, you know, figure out what is, ask those key questions that you said at the top, right? Divide things into some categories and, and then think about what you have in front of you, what you have in your home, what you have, if you're in a physical classroom, what you have in the classroom and, you know, how do you just create from what is there with these overarching guiding questions? Is that right? Yeah. And thinking of it in terms of not what do I need, but what do I have and what can I do with it? Um, but then the other approach, and that came out in the pandemic when it was easier as well, is what is the kid interested in? And so I know that's harder about the classroom with 28 to 40 students, depending on where you're at. Um, but there are, there are a few ways that I've done this in the past is where you can, I mean, you can kind of guess where students are going to go. Like, you know, like there's only a finite number of topics. And so you can have this list in the back of your mind that these are topics you want to do. And you can kind of mold their questions that they're interested in to go toward that. Um, and you know what? Maybe there is something that pops up that was new, but that's not bad. That shows new things to do. So what you can do is do one of the dipstick activities, you know, like and see what's something cool you heard about this week or something you wondered um and then you can over the weekend see like could I tweak anything this week that had to do with that could I approach chemical reactions with this reaction instead um like that and then it pulls in the kids interests without forcing relevance on them because what is relevant to me is not relevant to every child um, and that way they feel more invested in it. And it shows that it does go into the world around them. I love that idea of bringing in student voice and, and the suggestion of, you know, thinking over the weekend, you know, leading up to that Monday class of, I think sometimes people think, or teachers think, you know, I need to know all of my students' interests 
without asking them regularly, you know, because kids change right, and their interests change or things come up in given weeks, like we have to consistently ask this. Um, and then people I think also are kind of nervous to say, well, what if I don't know on the fly? And I love that idea that you can just take, take a couple of days and think about how to integrate it into the upcoming week's lessons. Um, it doesn't, you don't necessarily need that immediate, oh, this is my brilliant idea that came out of nowhere in five seconds after the student said this thing, which I think feels probably much more doable for a lot of teachers. Yeah. And it could even be that you say, you know, well, that's kind of like, that's an equilibrium topic, which isn't until next semester, but you gave me a really great idea of how I might change a lab we're going to do. I'll let you know when we do it, you know, and that really, that, that gives some of that learning buy-in. Um, but it also gives credit where credit is due, which I'm also really a big proponent of. <laughs> yeah, that's a great idea. I love that. And so it sounds like all of this, it includes student voice. It makes it so you don't need necessarily a textbook or a bunch of expensive chemicals or resources. Um, it's equitable. Equity is really at the core of everything that you're talking about. And I think too, it transcends, you know, the not only grade levels, but I think content areas as well. The approaches that you're talking about are really innovative and inquiry-based. And I think a lot of teachers, regardless of what they teach, who might be listening, can, can use a lot of that um, content and framing for their work. The cool thing too, is that it supplements really well with a textbook. So a textbook tends to put information in a very specific way. And maybe you only need page 22 and 30, you know, and you use it as you need it, because that's all a textbook is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be read cover to cover. Um, it's supposed to be used where you need it. So I think that, yeah, giving the students some say in some of it, because there are some topics we could definitely teach in a different order. I mean, I guess, unless you're a history teacher and you're going chronologically, but other than that, there are some things that you could really move around. <laughs> yeah. And as a former history teacher, I would say too, I think thematic teaching of history is an up and coming thing that's happening too, and breaking away from that chronology. So I, I love this idea because I think what you said about the textbook, we might only need page 28. That is revolutionary thinking that I think freeze up teachers to be like, oh, okay, yeah, I use the textbook if I need to use it, if my admin tells me to use it, or um, if family members are thinking, well, I should, you know, kind of align myself to the textbook if this is what the school gave me or whatever. I think that's so powerful to say, I can pick and choose within this and I can still cover the main ideas, but I don't need to read it cover to cover. I think a lot of teachers may not have actually thought about that before. And I think that's really transformative to share that. I would say that I think that a lot of the supplemental materials the textbook companies come out with, um, I've been involved in a lot of those ancillary type of materials. So I wouldn't say like, you don't need it at all, because there have been some really great developed materials that are out there to be used as however you want to use them. So they usually give editable files or um, suggestions for a lab and things like that. So I, I think that especially books that are tied really closely to a lab manual. I think those are really powerful too, because you get to see what you're doing and the concept. Um, so I think they all have a place in the classroom. It just, yeah, it's definitely on the teacher of which pieces that they want to pull in where. Yeah. And actually, I know you mentioned just now you have helped create some of these really cool supplementary, you know, files and projects. And I'm curious to know, I think you listed several already, but are there any other activities specifically that people 
who are at home or teachers who are kind of planning for the upcoming year um, could do with students that they may not realize, but they actually do have all the materials already in front of them. They don't need to order big fancy things like some of your favorite projects, maybe. Um, like I said, I do right now, my brain is heavily focused on the, the pre-K, K and first grade. Um, so all of my things tend to go with like baking soda and vinegar, but like you can teach stoichiometry at the high school level using baking soda and vinegar. Like you could talk about it like that. And often we talk about it in terms of making a, a sandwich for limiting reagents. Like how many sandwiches can I make if I only have one tomato and like looking at it like that. So why can't we do it with something we have in our house? Um, and I think some of it is because it's always been taught that way, which is one of those brave things that we need to to do is to say, well, does that mean we should still do that? Like, just because I was trained that way doesn't mean it was the best way. And we're, we've evolved. <laughs> oh, that's great. Even that, just that sandwich example, I never would have thought about that. That's brilliant. So um, you have actually a children's book, Let's Learn About Chemistry. Would you like to speak a little bit about it? Anything you'd like to share, how you got the idea? What's the goal? What's the approach that you share in there? Sure. Yeah. I think the way we were just talking really shows my approach to most things I do, but yeah, I definitely can. So I, like I said, have always done curricular materials since I've been in grad school. This is, I love writing new and unique contexts to teach kids about stuff. So I get to read the news every day, find the science going on and try to write things about it. Um, and while doing that, I had a child and I was like, okay, I'm going to start teaching these things to younger kids, but I hadn't really thought about chemistry because I, I just was talking, thinking more about like just life skills and stuff with an infant. And I saw him sorting his toys by color and he sorted all of his, his favorite color is orange, always has been since he was born, it still is. And he made a pile of orange toys and that was his favorite spot to play. And I was like, you know what? A lot of chemistry is that categorical things we could sort. And if it's just sorting, why are we waiting until eighth grade to talk about this? And so I thought, you know what? There's this whole genre of nerd science for babies, you know, like of where like all of us science geeks, our kids, we get these as baby gifts, but why just them? And so I thought, there's a different way to do this. So I wrote down all the concepts I could think of that could be classified as this, this, or that. Um, and then I hired an illustrator and she helped me bring it to life. It came in the form of which of these is not like the other. And it uses four real children, my son and his friends at the time, we don't live there anymore, but he still knows them. Um, but it's a it turned out his friends were a diverse group already. So it shows women or girls, I guess, at this case, because they're only three um, girls and boys, and it shows their favorite activities. So for solids, here, I'll flip to the page of it. It's like, for solids, it shows a doll, a baseball, and blocks. And for a liquid, it shows a carton of milk. And it asks you, which of these things is not like the other? And what makes it different? And so when I was saying that textbooks don't need to be used the whole thing, you don't have to use my book the whole thing either. So I have each section labeled by the concept. And 
the illustrator added some levels in of color and other things that a child could say, I can drink that one and not the other three. That's not wrong. And that's fine. They justify their claim with evidence and you can have your child move on. You don't have to say, no, the answer is that one is a liquid. Um, and that's fine. You just move on to the next page. Next time you read it, maybe that'll come up. Maybe it won't, you know? And so um, reading it to kids, I had a draft that I read to my son's uh, daycare groups and they asked some questions that I never thought of. And it actually helped me revise the book of how to introduce it um, to the kids. And so it's super fun to read to everybody. Um, and I love hearing their answers. Like I can eat that, but I can't eat a bug. And like, it's like, you know what you're, yeah, th that's great. Good job. And they come up with such great answers that are the same or different. And just focusing on that, that trait, sameness and differentness that we both have shoes on, but mine are black and yours are blue, but we both have shoes. What's that mean that we're the same and different? How does that work? Um, and so that's how the book has been approached, but it's, um, I love this book. <laughs> it's so cool too, because I'm even thinking just for someone who even taught high school science to be able to take that book and actually use the categories that you've created and those things that are really entry level for a four-year-old, but even really powerful for, you know, 14-year-olds. And to be able to think about those categories, I almost think that would, you know, spark my own, I didn't teach science, but, but it would spark my own thinking about looking at the science curriculum in new and innovative ways. And even if people don't teach science, the idea that you took the approach of categorization and then thinking about just everyday experiences that would exemplify that categorization and using those really core enduring understandings to be able to bring to life a really difficult subject matter um, or a really difficult piece of the subject. I think that's really powerful and something that everyone can, can learn from. Yeah. And the really cool thing about it that has been the most fun to see, especially during the pandemic where you need good news. Um, I get tagged in things a lot on Instagram of where people have tried things and people will do their own which of these is not like the other with things they found outside or they'll do an activity where they mix things together and things mix or they don't mix. That's the other category I was thinking. That's the, the third one. Um, and so uh, people pair kitchen science with this and that's so fun. Um, and the goal was to make it accessible to parents um, because I know a lot of people say like, I hate math and science. I can't do this. I'm not doing this. Um, and I didn't want to make the book off-putting to a parent so that they felt like they didn't know or they didn't want to read it. So we have scaffolds built in where the answers are actually there. If you can read, you see them, you know, where a, a two-year-old can't read, four-year-old maybe can start, <laughs> but it tells you the answer. So you, if you were a little concerned with like, you didn't know something, it's there. Um, and so it's just trying to make it more so that everybody can read this book and not just science nerds who bought it for our, our children as a baby shower gift. Um, and then in terms of pricing, pricing a book is hard to do because it's just, it's tough. Um, but to make it more accessible because board books are difficult to print. And so their cost is really 
it is what it is because of the printing. Um, and the ebook though, I was able to put it up for 99 cents and I did that. So in the pandemic, everybody could have access to this if they needed it. And a lot of libraries have that 99 cent one on loan. That is so cool. And I wouldn't even have thought about that, that idea of that the cardboard is it costs a lot to print. And so I love the idea of the ebook. I also just love that you named their, their like kind of this crowdsource version of what's not like the other that's kind of come up as a response to the book. Super, super cool. That is, yeah, amazing. it's really fun. <laughs> people definitely need to check you out on Instagram. So I, I will ask that question shortly of where people can find you, but that is, <laughs> I think a must stop. <laughs> um, so as, as we kind of wrap up, I'd love to hear just we talked about a lot of different things that people can do and, and maybe one thing that you want to highlight either that you mentioned or something new to add. Um, I particularly like the frame of, you know, living in alignment with, with justice and equity or living in alignment with that dream that you shared at the start that everyone can be a scientist. Like what's one thing if someone's listening to the episode, they stop the episode, they go into life mode that they could do to, to bring that to life. Hmm. I'm thinking on that one. I think that, Donating a book to a library um, or encouraging people to, not even encouraging anyone, but showing up to science shows. So a lot of local universities will do a demo day or something. You should go, go see it. If, if science comes to your school, encourage it with your kids. Um, that even just showing parental support can really help a kid really want to do it. Um, but in terms, I don't know, one of the things that someday if I'm rich and famous, <laughs> what I would do is I would um, sponsor kids going to an online science camp or things like that to help everybody have a chance because not everybody does have the chance. Um, and in teaching in Chicago public schools in informal after-school programs, I realized that because I was able to go to a summer camp that I met with all of the like organizations in town, asked them for money, raised the money because I couldn't have afforded it myself either. And I was able to go on the dime of like all the companies in my town, essentially. And I had to give a few presentations of what I learned and what I did. And it was this great experience. And I brought this up to one of my kids who she ended up being valedictorian of her class. And she was I, I brought it up that, hey, maybe you should try one of these. And her mom was like, no way. Like, you know, <laughs> and it was like, oh, why did you even ask us that? And I was like, well, you're right. That is something that is a privilege that I had that I didn't think about. And I want to make this more normalized for everybody. Um, it shouldn't just be if you happen to know a scientist. These programs are around and we should let everybody know about them. I'm even thinking just something like donors choose or, you know, places where we put these calls for typically, you know, a physical resource in a classroom, but could very well be, I think, an experiential journey for, for individual kids or whole class of kids. It would be super cool. I think there's a lot of people right now trying to figure out um, how they invest in equity monetarily. And I think that's a great example. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a, Tough question, because when I had my Kickstarter for the book, I ended up getting a little more than we had anticipated, and we were trying to figure out what to do with these extra books, and I ended up going with Head Start in Indiana, 
we gave one book to every Head Start school so that they had it there. Um, so I think even encouraging, like if you do know an author or you are an author or you have a book that you'd really like to get in schools, ask the distributor or ask the author. They might be interested in helping you do that. Um, even if it's 10 copies, 10 copies is 10 extra kids who had a book in their house that was about science, you know, like, I think that that is really powerful. Um, and I know myself as an educator, I give teachers if they get classroom sets and or like even a few for their class, I give them a code that knocks the price down. So there are definitely things out there if you ask. Um, so I think that that's worth worthwhile as well. I love that too, because even like you were saying, just to put one in each head start, I mean, that's going to influence countless kids who year after year are coming through that head start. So that's a brilliant way to kind of grow that and to encourage authors that we know to grow um, kind of awareness and, and access to scientific yeah. concepts. Super cool. Um, so one of the final questions I like to ask is, just because everyone listening is a lifelong learner. Every guest seems to be a lifelong learner. Um, and you, you mentioned that at the top of the episode too. So what's something that either you've been learning about lately or, or something that you've been working on to help others learn? <laughs> um, I was thinking on this because I do learn a lot of different things when I'm writing um, context. I learned this week that they found pottery from 4,500 years ago that the yeast was in it still and they were able to reactivate yeast 4,500 years later and do a DNA analysis of it compared to all the yeasts that are found in different beverages and breads. <laughs> and I was like, that's, that's a little, that's, that's awesome. Um, but then parts of my brain go to, I don't know if you ever watched um, X-Files. Um, yeah, yeah, when I was younger. Yeah, there's an episode where they're in Antarctica and they are like drilling ice cores and they find a disease and they just kind of like heat it up and it like takes over everybody who's there. And it's like, maybe do we want to activate that? Like, I, as a scientist, I love knowing the answer. I love knowing how much DNA we have in common with yeast. That's really cool. But then a part of me is like, should we be doing it? Like, was this a good idea? <laughs> oh my gosh. I love that. And I want to say that in a more recent series of something, there was an episode on the same concept. So I love that we're like re returning to this theme as like a society. <laughs> this may be problematic, <laughs> but super cool thing that you learned. Um, as we close, where can listeners learn more about you or connect with you online? So the best place is Instagram. It's at Let's Learn About Science. We're also on Facebook, um, and but the, all that does is repost from Instagram, so it's nothing special in that group. Um, and today is far before this airs, so when this airs, there will be a blog at letslearnaboutscience.com. Right now, it just has a few things about the book on it, but it will be a blog when this airs. <laughs> Awesome. And I will drop the link to that in the show notes too. So people can just click on it as well as your Instagram and Facebook links as well. Thank you, Dr. Stephanie Ryan, for being on the show. It's a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, this was really fun, Lindsay. Thank you. Thanks for listening, amazing educators. If you loved this episode, you can share it on social media and tag me at Lindsay Beth Lyons or leave a review of the show so leaders like you will be more likely to find it. Until next time, leaders, continue to think big, act brave, and be your best self. Thank you.